Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Hertel. This is our buddy Dennis Saunders, one of our favorites, one of our go-tos. Man, I greatly respect his opinion on a variety of things. And unfortunately, my friend, we are once again talking about your beloved city of Minneapolis. Yeah, I would like to sometime come on and not talk about uh, any type of police shooting because there's a lot of other things going on in Minneapolis. Let's just start right there, though, because when we when we talked about other issues up there with you, um, George Floyd, Chauvin, um, even the stuff that went in happened in Kenosha, which was adjacent to that. There was an environmental element to that. We went into the back history. I don't want to rehash it all here, but this see, this keeps happening in Minneapolis for a reason, does it not? I think it does. Um, you know, I think part of it is that the police department has long had a history of of problem uh, cops that they haven't really dealt with. I think a lot of that has had to deal with the police union. And to type, I think to top it all off with that is dealing kind of with the racial element. And that's all also been there. It's been a kind of a longstanding part of it. So until those two things are addressed, this is going to keep happening. All right. Amir Locke, this is the new one. Um, before we get into the details of it, how has it landed in the city? You're there. Uh, you're a writer, but you're also a pastor in the community. So th- this this is your this is where you live, work, and eat and play. Mm-hmm. Uh, how's the community taking this one? Well, there is a lot of justifiable anger, and um, you know this was actually brought up at church yesterday um, in our in our um, prayers. So there are lots of people that are are upset, and I think again because this is happening again, we've had as a community dealt with. A number of police shootings, and I think going at least as far back as Philando Castile in 2016, uh, of course, George Floyd in 2020, and now with Amir Locke. And all of these are things that really the way that they were handled, they shouldn't have happened. But there you go. From my perspective, I phrase it this way. You tell me if I'm on off base, though, with but with what we know now, and this is early and these things always change as we go, but what we know right now on the Amir Locke shooting, uh, killing. Let's just call it a killing. This feels to me almost like we took the worst parts of Philando Castile and the worst parts of Breonna Taylor. And it's almost like it's almost like they've been combined here because we have a legal gun owner. We have a a no-knock warrant into a home. We have now uh I think sufficient evidence to say that the way they went about getting the warrant was suspect at best. This seems like it's those two things at its worst. Is that how it's landing with the community there? You know, I think it is. Though. I mean, I think because um, 
George, I mean, Brianna Taylor, I think is sooner. People are bringing that up, but it, I think it's a combination of both. One of the things that's been interesting, and, and it, if there is a silver lining, um, is that you've heard um, statements from the Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus, um, basically chastising the police um, and talking about Amir Locke as a legal gun owner. Um, that was something that didn't happen um, with Philando Castile. They never brought up the fact that he was a gun owner, or a lot of, of gun rights groups never brought that up. Of course, we're still waiting for the NRA to talk about that, but of course, they're busy these days. But I think that that is a positive, um, is that we are kind of seeing this as this is someone who is a legal gun owner. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He had a right to carry um, a weapon and got shot. And this is, I mean, it's kind of happened again. Um, the other thing I think that is important to talk about is the fact that this was the whole background about this was about uh, a murder investigation that took place uh, that was being handled by the St. Paul Police Department. And so St. Paul was asking Minneapolis to check on this. And they, St. Paul expressly said, do not do a no-knock warrant. And Minneapolis decided just to go right ahead. They thought they knew better. They had, um, they knew the situation. But I think that that's what's also frustrating is that uh, Minneapolis police did not even listen to uh, their uh, sister police department across the river. Is there been, and it seems weird to ask this in the in the light of what has just happened, but has there been a noticeable change in the Minneapolis police department? I know there was leadership changes. I know there was a lot of lip service, but has there been a noticeable change in the police department in the last year, 18 months? Um, I would especially since maybe since the, the Chauvin verdict, and then we have the ongoing trials with the other individuals. But is there any palpable difference in the police before this happened? Or is this just come up and everybody's going, wait a minute, nothing's really changed? It's pretty much the latter. Nothing's really changed. Um, now, there could be some reasoning for that, because, of course, um, the uh, federal government is looking at the police department and seeing what type of civil rights violations have taken place. So they may be waiting for that, but there still should have been something done. Um, there was a lot that could have been done and it hasn't. And I, I think that that's, that's bad uh, for a lot of reasons. It's bad because, you know, last year there were lots of people who wanted to basically do away with the police department. And, you know, of course we need a police department, but we need a police department that's going to be reformed and that's going to be acting better and um, that we're not, especially for me as an African-American, not afraid that they're going to shoot you. Um, and, you know, that's where we are right now. Yeah, we're talking to our friend Dennis Saunders. He's up in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Uh, he's not only a writer and a good friend of ours, he's also a pastor in the community, so he knows this community well. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because one thing that really seems to bother me about this is since we went through um, – all the stuff with George Floyd and then all the other things that happened subsequent to that. We all, you know, I feel like we wasted yet another opportunity to actually talk about these issues and the way it gets wasted is everybody runs to one extreme or the other, either mm -hmm. abolish the police and all police are horrible, which we know just objectively isn't true. And they run the, and then the right will run the other way and they get on the rampart of, well, the police have to be back to no matter what. Mm -hmm. And 
as far as I can tell from what I study and learn about this subject, both of those are equally going to get people killed. Yeah, it is. Um, because I think what, like, you know, especially with you to the, the fund of police, what that does is that it basically stops the argument. I mean, stops any type of reform or any talk because then everyone's just talking about that one issue, you know, whether we want to get rid of the police or not. And the same thing when it's, you know, the other way around on the right is that everyone's focused then on the extremes and they're not focused on the issue at hand. Um, you know, I think that that was one of the major problems right after George Floyd. There was some movement, especially in Washington, um, to hopefully get some something happening. But, you know, everyone was focused on either defunding the police or, you know, we the police need to be backed up no matter what. And we didn't really sit down, hammer out, how can we prevent this from happening? And, you know, that's kind of what's been happening here. And I, and I fear it's going to, it's going to happen again. Yeah. Talking to our friend, Dennis Saunders, um, since you brought it up anyway, is the lesson to this, uh, the one size fit all from Washington is just never going to work. It's probably never going to get passed anyway, but it, it just isn't applicable because you have, uh, like you just said, Minneapolis, St. Paul, you have the Twin Cities. That's kind of a unique situation where they're very um, inseparable in a lot of ways. That's different than other metro areas. That's certainly going to be different than a rural area or a sheriff's department that has to deal with things. Uh, we've seen the situation with Aubrey uh, down in Georgia, where it was more of a rural situation, a suburban situation, and you had corrupt prosecutors. Is the lesson here that we really need to maybe stop thinking about a one-size-fit-all bill, and this is going to have to be a local-level area first type of reform movement? I think it is, um, just because the police are is a local issue. Um, I, I think you, you just brought up Ahmaud Arbery, and if I'm not mistaken, there was a, a certain law that was was kind of being used by, by his killers to justify um, the killing. Georgia was very quick in getting rid of that law. Um, and it was a law that had been around since the Civil War. Uh, that's basically, of course, where it would work because it's, it's the local issue. It was very specific to Georgia. Um, and it's going to have to work here, too, in, in Minnesota. I mean, I think the state um, House and the state Senate are going to have to work on this with the governor. Um, this is just going to be have to be a local issue. Um, you know, Washington can help in some ways, but ultimately, the police, any type of police, is a local thing. It's not, and any any solution has to come from the local because Washington isn't going to be knowledgeable of what some certain cities or a, a, a small town or a rural area will need. Yeah, we're talking to our buddy Dennis Saunders. He is in Minneapolis. He knows these issues intimately well because, unfortunately, this is his third or fourth time on this program talking about them. Uh, when we come back, we're going to dig into some of those specifics of Minneapolis, the specifics of this case as we know it, continue to get his great insight on it. More with Dennis Saunders on Hardtail right after that. Ah, welcome back to Hurtel. Hope you enjoyed that nice long break. Uh, we're back with Dennis Saunders, our buddy. All right, let's get into the specifics of this case a little bit. Before we go to Amir Locke, though, uh, I always, anytime this happens, I always like to zoom out to government accountability. Uh, the police is the armed enforcement wing of the government. So 
If you're a uh, accountability, a government person, that includes the police. Let's start with the mayor. Uh, I have not been impressed. I wasn't impressed when he did his street dancing routine and basically got shouted down by the mob during the George Floyd protest. I was not impressed with what I saw at the podium uh, a couple of days ago in the aftermath of this. But you're local. You're on the ground. What is the sentiment about y'all's mayor and his leadership? I, I think most people would agree with you. Um, you know, he won a second term and supposedly this was an issue. A no-knock warrants was an issue that he wanted to, to, to um, tackle. And as far as we know, he hadn't done anything yet. Um, and now for that to happen, it doesn't look good for him. It, does, it, looks, it basically shows poor leadership on, on his part. And, you know, we need someone that is going to basically, I, I think, be willing to say to the police department, this is what you got to do um, and not take no for an answer. And, you know, I don't think he has every power available to do something, but I, he does have, have at least some type of moral power. And I think right now he's not really showing that. Yeah. And one thing that and again, we're just working off the information as we have it now, these cases, of course, there'll be an investigation there will be more things come out. But as it stands right now, the part that really smells bad to this case so far is it sure looks like not just that they got a no knock warrant, but it looks like they went no knock warrant shopping to get it. That's, I think, the thing that is, I think, annoying is that they wanted to do this. Um, even though, especially as I said earlier, St. Paul said, do not do this. This is something they wanted to do. I don't, I don't get that. I don't, if you're so, did you, they not think that doing this could, what the consequences were? Obviously they didn't. Obviously they did not care about the consequences because they were, they wanted to get their way and they didn't care what was going to happen. Yeah. And of all people, the uh, Derek Chauvin judge is the one that actually signed off on this thing just to really make it complicated. Yeah. Um, here's where I'm at on it. Uh, and then I'll get your thoughts on it. Um, I, I don't go so far as to say you need to ban no knock warrants because there's probably some situations you need it. I think the standards should be really, really high. I think this should be a really hard thing for the police to get. I don't like what I'm reading and understanding of this situation because it seems like they went shopping to get it. They had a no knock warrant for multiple locations. Uh, the person that was shot was not on any of these warrants. He wasn't wanted for anything, as far no. as anybody can tell. Uh, he was a legal gun owner. But a no-knock warrant surely should not be a fishing expedition. And when you get one for three locations, that sure sounds like a fishing expedition. You should not be doing the most dangerous situation you can put a police officer in as a fishing situation. Am I wrong in laying that out? Was there anything inaccurate there? No, I don't think there's anything inaccurate there. You know, Let's think about this for a moment. A, a no-knock warrant is basically, it's probably one of the most extreme things that a government can do because you're basically saying that the government can trespass on your property. They don't have to announce themselves. They are coming in with lethal force. At the very least, that seems to be something that you're going to, you want to handle with some sense of caution. And um, that wasn't done here. Minneapolis, I think the police department was incredibly careless, if not, if not callous in how they were handling this. Now, let's get to the gritty part of this. Um, when they go into it now, we now there's some 
there's some discrepancy on what the actual lapse time here is because the release video is uh, slow mode, one, to keep it from being too graphic, and two, because they're hiding the voices until the investigation's uh, complete. I understand all that. So somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to 10 seconds from taking the door, the shots are fired. There's two issues at hand here. One is we all understand that if the police are coming in with guns drawn and somebody picks up a weapon, they're going to get shot. Mm-hmm. My concern here is twofold. One is he had a right to be in that home with a gun. He was licensed to carry that gun. Even if he wasn't licensed, he would have had a right to have it in the home. Um, and he was not wanted. And two is the situation where they were coming in guns drawn at the ready was completely set up by their own hand. And as we talked about before, under suspect circumstances, I get the police officer pulling the trigger in the situation, but the entire situation to me was built up and escalated once again by the police. And therefore the accountability on this is all on the police to explain it. And I think they should be held accountable for it. I do not disagree, but this is, this is one of the problems here in Minneapolis is that In many ways, the police is not accountable. They have done whatever they feel is correct, where there have been um, issues with police. And in fact, the person that did um, um, shoot Amir was someone that had a record of problems. That person should not have even actually been taking part in that no-knock warrant. Not that I think that they, that should have happened at all, but if you're going to have it, you, you don't want someone that has had several complaints already. And again, this shows kind of the, the ability of the police to not basically to say that they don't have any accountability at all. They feel that they are a law unto themselves. And that's not a good thing for our city because we, as I said, we do need a police. Um, we're a large American city. Crime does happen. Crime has increased in Minneapolis. We need to have a police. But as I like to say, I want to have a police, but I don't want to call the police and worry about if they're going to shoot me. And I think that's kind of where we're at right now. The other problem I have with this is, and I'm going to quote our buddy, Will Truman, who's also our boss at Ordinary Times when we write there. Mm-hmm. He wrote one of the best articles I've ever read on, read on this. It's called Hollow Points and Hollow Rights. And he just lays it out bluntly. He's like, it's not a right if the police don't have to respect it. And I saw two rights violations here. I see the right of them coming into the home on the no-knock warrant that is that it sure looks like it's suspect, especially when we start looking into the people that are involved and that they had uh, violence issues already. Um, we'll see how that plays out. But that, that sure looks like there may be some connectable dots there. And he had a right to have that weapon. Eight to 10 seconds of reaction time from a dead sleep. The man reached for a gun. I, I can't get right with that. No, There's no. no police procedure for that. There's no. And when you put together that they shop the warrant, nothing about this feels right. I'm going to go back to like the George Floyd thing and the Breonna Taylor thing and the Ahmed Aubrey. There's nothing when you look at this objectively that feels right. And therefore, there's just nothing common sense wise that justifies it on the face of it. I just can't get there. I mean, is that where you're at? Yes, there is nothing that justifies this. Now, I, and I understand that the police have a dangerous job, and there are cases where I think that they are wholly justified in using lethal force. But the situation that this was, was handled, there was no need for this. There was no need to just come in. And then basically that they set themselves up 
for this in that they barged in to someone who is who is fast asleep, wakes up and doesn't have a whole lot of time to react and probably just basically as a, a reaction just reaches for it, for his gun and immediately is, is killed. There is no reason, no thought put behind all of this. Uh, it was just basically, let's just rush in. We'll just get the, get who we need. And that's it. As I said earlier, this is something that I think is, was careless, but on top of that, I think it, it was also callous. I don't think that the police department gave a damn who was there and who was going to get hurt. Yeah. I, I think a lot of the problems when we're talking about these uh, criminal justice issues is we've done too much othering the criminal <laughs> and the police officers. I'm, I, I said it on this program a couple of days ago, a few people got upset, but that's okay. Um, you know, send, send tweet as the kids say, you cannot tell me you care or love about something. If you don't hold it accountable, if you care about justice and criminal law and law and order and the police, and I do care about the police because we need them. You have to hold them accountable I think we've just had an entire generation of police, at least my lifetime's worth, where we have escalated and escalated and escalated the mentality of everybody's out to get them. And I understand, again, the job's dangerous, but we have the militarization of the police. We have this escalation of a police mindset of shoot first, shoot second, shoot third. And then if anybody's left alive, ask some questions. And that may sound harsh, but that's that's where we're at because we have we have this paradigm now of police versus everybody and we have lost the in my opinion especially in cities we have lost the concept of peace officers and that they are supposed to be the de-escalating force in the community mm-hmm. and i don't and i'm not even trying to make a point here i'm just kind of venting i don't know how you fix that because it took a it took a couple generations to get there i don't think you're going to fix the current generation that's already inculcated with it what do we do Well, one of the problems, especially here in Minneapolis, but I think nationwide is, and you just said it, police are supposed to be peace officers, or as someone once said, police are supposed to be viewed as guardians. But the problem is, is that a lot of the training has them viewed as warriors. Um, And there is a big difference between those two. Um, One is supposed to protect people The other is supposed to kill people. Um, Those are just the two different functions. And there has been a lot of training um, that focuses on a warrior. And when you have that kind of a a mentality, and I don't want to trash the whole concept of the warrior, but that's something that you have. That's why we have a military. That's what a military does. A police, that's not what you do. And when you have that type of mentality, taking place among the police, this is what you get, is you start to not see, you start to see people as combatants, not as uh, citizens, and and to look at them and and realize and find ways of, as you said, to de-escalate situations, not to come in guns blazing. Yeah, I think it's sad um, as somebody who's had some of that real training, when we have police departments that wouldn't be in line with LOAC, that's the law of armed conflict, or just the rules of engagement of war, and especially the LOAC training and escalation of violence training and force use of force training that the military has to abide by when, they're, when they really are in those situations overseas. 
and our police would not meet those standards. There, there's something bad wrong, but that's another, that's another no, topic for the other but, day, but, but I, that that's the case. You, but I think they're, yeah. they're doing stuff that if we did it in Iraq, you'd be in Leavenworth for 20 years. No questions asked. And they're getting away with it. Yeah. But, and I, I agree. I think our, our military has rules of engagement. I mean, they actually have all of these rules to, that justifies when you can use force and not. So even with the police, when they do this warrior training, it's not necessarily training even as a, as a true warrior, because there are certain ways that, that our, our, our army, our military are trained and they're just trained as, as if to be a warrior is that you just go off and, and kill with wanton wantonly. Yeah. It goes back. I think that callousness is something we're going to have to really talk about. And I, and I will bet money if it comes to a trial that will come up. Uh, Dennis Saunders, we got to leave it there. I hate to, cause I could talk to you all day. Uh, I always respect your opinion and your insight, especially on things that are happening in your backyard. Let folks know how they can follow you. Uh, you're a brilliant writer. Uh, you write at ordinary-times.com with us frequently, but tell folks what else you got going on. I know you got your medium page and your social media. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I do have, uh, you can follow me on social media at, at uh, Denman. Um, it's on, on, on Twitter. So it's at D-E-N-M-I-N-N. Um, you can also uh, listen to my uh, podcast, which is um, En Route, and you can find that at enroutepodcast.org. Yeah, his podcast is great. I've been on it a couple times. He delves into uh, religion and politics. Those two things you're not supposed to talk about in front of polite <laughs> company. Uh, so make sure you follow him. Good guy, buddy. I appreciate your time today. I appreciate you jumping on short notice. And uh, we'll talk again real soon, my friend. All right. Take care. Thank you, sir.